Hello folks, welcome back. If you're a new listener, thank you for being here for the very first time. And if you're a regular listener, hey, great to see you again. This is the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Now before we get into today's show, I'd like to talk about what it means to actually be a high performance human. Despite what you're thinking, it's got nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike or run, but it does have everything to do with topics like sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, work habits, and so much more. So if these are areas you'd like to improve on, then we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients and my wife, Beth, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered. You can find contact details in the show notes below. And now for today's show. My guest today is Dave, the Bandman Schmitz. He's a strength coach who focuses entirely on using resistance training bands to build mobility, strength and stability. Now I have to confess that despite my years of work as a professional strength coach and my own personal training experiences, I've used bands mostly for injury rehabilitation. During the conversation, Dave explains his philosophy, the light bulb moment that got him started with bands, how bands are the most versatile strength building option available, why they are the best choice for injury prevention and longevity, what bands you need to get started, and finally, why bands allow you to have your own portable gym if you're the sort of person who travels a lot. And after this conversation with Dave, I am definitely going to have a complete rethink about how I approach my own strength training. So let's crack on and hear from the band man. Well, welcome to the show, Mr. Dave Schmitz from Resistance Band Training Systems. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Simon. It's uh, equally a great pre- pleasure. I uh, I really enjoy these um, and, and looking forward to uh, corresponding with you and seeing what we can come up with. So Dave, I, I've, I've been in the strength training business a long time and you know, I've um, worked with elite athletes in, in the UK in team sports and I've worked with triathletes and I had a personal training gym and I, I'm embarrassed to say that um, most of the time when we used resistance bands, it was with the the, the much lighter duty um, TheraBand type thing where we use them in conjunction with the physiotherapist as more like a prehab type thing. And I never really, never really got into using resistance training bands. Um, however, you came across my path because of Pat Rigsby, who does a lot of business coaching for entrepreneurs like yourself and um he, he's mentioned you quite a lot and ryan lee also who i'm i'm sort of in his tribe and so i know that this and we're going to talk about how resistance band training has gained in popularity but when you started it wasn't was it and so i'm um to start with i'd be interested in exploring what your background is for strength training you know did you have a traditional pathway into the um, industry and then decided to niche on something or did you come at it from a um, another angle I'm, I'm going to say I came at it from another angle. Um, so two things. Number one, growing up, you do things um, growing up that you just do because you enjoy them and you're not sure why you just do. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in central Wisconsin, um, 25 miles away from the closest exercise or weight room in the high school. So I couldn't I couldn't get there. And so I trained at home using pretty much anything I could to develop strength. I would train in the backyard. I would I would do things. And this was at age 
13, 14, and 15. So fast forwarding, um, fitness is always, and working out has always been in my, in my blood. Um, it's just something that I love doing. And so when I went into um, um, post high school and college, I wanted to get into something that was obviously fitness driven. And so I looked around and the thing that intrigued me the most was physical therapy. And so um, I got my degree in physical therapy and started working in the orthopedic physical therapy arena. So I, I was strictly orthopedics. And that's um, all this time I was in, ortho, you know, as a therapist, strength training was obviously a big part of our rehabilitative process. Um, but what I was continually struggling with was my patients really weren't getting better. They were saying they were getting better, but they really weren't getting better. And they definitely weren't getting better for the long term. You know, I got them walking. I got their range of motion back. I got a little bit of strength back. And they functionally could kind of get back to doing what they enjoyed doing. But that really bothered me because it it was they were not getting better. And the other thing that bothered me was um, I wasn't giving them something better. Something, you know, they came into me injured. I wanted all my patients to number one, be treated like athletes. So I would train, I would treat every patient like an athlete, no matter their age, gender, didn't matter. Um, the little grandma that was 82 years old, I would tell her, I think I can make you a little more athletic. And she would look at me, you know, a little bit strange, but she ultimately, I would explain it to her, you know, what, what I was referring to. So with that mindset, um, you know, that's how I, I, I kind of started getting it. That's how I got into strength training, but the physical therapy field really allowed me to start understanding how this body of ours works. And then what I could do is I could apply it, apply it to my strength training approach. And it became a really interesting, exciting field for me because, um, here you had a guy that loved to work out and he, I was starting to understand the body better and how it moved. Um, I had some mentors that we'll talk about maybe in a little bit here that really helped me really, really start to learn how this body worked of ours and, and, and the blueprint it was designed around. Um, and so that's kind of how I got started. And then just personally, I, I've just always followed multiple types of strength training and conditioning. Um, and now at 60, I think back on all the training types of programs I followed and what I'm doing now. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool how that pathway started at age 13 and it just evolved through, through the years up till now. I'm just rewinding back to where you were saying you, you started on the farm and you used everything you had. And I, I remember, um, you know, when I, when I was at school, we used to have this old gym down in the basement of the, uh, of the, um, that was me. Well, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a room. It was, it was about five or six meters square, and it was in the basement of the uh, of the school sports hall. And we had a friend who was an Olympic weightlifter. He was only sixteen, but he was a Great Britain junior champion. We so we were allowed to go in the weights room with his supervision because the teacher somehow thought that his um, regular training made him a little bit more emotionally mature than the rest of us, and we wouldn't we wouldn't be trying to beat each other with who could bench press the most um, or yeah. throwing the weights around. Um, so we were allowed to use that, and and uh, it, it was very rudimentary. And we always used to buy copies of Muscle and Fitness from that came in from the United States. And I remember my friend saying, "Well, you know, you there's no way you can get fit and get strong without having a gym." But then 
as I got older, I had a, a friend who was um, a strength coach for a, a professional sport, and he and I used to chat a lot. And he used to show me these videos of the Russian weightlifters um, using tractor axles and working out, carrying girders, and all of the Russian strongman things. And he, he said, "You see these guys? They're Olympic champions, but they don't have a gym. They 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 use what they can. They make they make their own workouts." And I don't know if you saw, there was a really good video that was. There's going viral on the internet about this, the open air um, training facility they had in Kiev. Um, mm-hmm. That was basically based around train tracks, and there was also they, these these locals had built these pull up bars, and they'd welded bits and pieces together, and they were using kettlebells and old tractor wheels and everything. But everybody in the local area used to go and take um, work out there, and it became a real hub. And then, of course, the war stopped all that. Um, but but I do think these days with you know with the advent of gyms and um, commercialization that people feel that uh, unless they go into the gym they they can't get fit. But actually, if you go back to the old school type, we we used to do it a different way, didn't we? Because you're the same age as me, Dave. Yep. So just to piggyback off that real quick, for ten years I worked in the high, for our local high school as their strength coach. I just volunteered, and the very first thing I created was what's called the junkyard gym. Mm-hmm. And it was an outdoor gym that I fabricated for the kids to go out and just simply be the kids. And it was tires. It was um, kids would bring in their dad's sledgehammers. Um, they would bring in, I took and went, bought some simple ropes. Um, we had towels. We had anything, you know, anything we could, I could come up with that allowed me to challenge them to just move and and very non-traditional movements and it became so so overwhelmingly popular that ultimately uh, we we had at one point in time about 110 kids training in the junkyard gym Mm. and and fortunately I had fields and I had tennis courts and I had I had the entire high school campus so I could just you know I could just the imagination could go wild but I go back because the kids always thought, you know, to this day, I have kids come back and say, you know, Mr. Schmitz, and they call me Mr. Schmitz yet, but they say, coach, you, you taught me that getting stronger was not a weight room thing. It was an effort thing. And Mm -hmm. it was a focused thing. And the tool was just the tool. Um, And when I hear that, I'm going, man, I, I, that's impacting. I mean, that's that's providing our youth with the idea that um, there's no reason you can't work out. Mm-hmm. You just have to have the effort and the want, and that's it. That's that's all you need, and the rest we can find. And so that I just share that story because that that's my way of that's how I train. And and when I was on the farm, I did the same thing. Um, I would find tractor tires. I would you know I mm-hmm. I used things that were like that. My dad thought I was completely nuts and was, you know, he didn't understand what I was doing. Um, but it was just, it was the way I thought and, and the way I, what I enjoyed doing. I, my grandfather, um, when I was growing up, I thought he was a little bit nuts. He used to get up every morning and he used to work, he worked in a forge. So he he had a two pound lump hammer every day i mean he, he had wrists and forearms that were like oh they were huge yeah. and he had yeah. a grip even even when he was dying he had a grip like a you know like a piece of machinery 
that would squeeze the blood out of your fingers. Um, and I remember when we used to go and visit, he would get up in the morning and he would go outside in his trousers with his um, with his you know his braces on, and he'd have his white vest, and he would stand out there in the garden in all weathers, in all times of the year, doing his breathing exercises. So of course, breathing's become deliberate breathing practice become very popular now. And James Ooh. Nestor and Patrick McEwen have written best-selling books based on it. But back then, breathing was like something that that was just when nobody thought about the the benefits of that. But my granddad would go out and do that. And then he he would he had a chest expander. So there's the forerunner of your stretch, your resistance band thing. He had one of these great big chest expanders. Um and uh, he used to go out there and do some exercises with that. And then he would be at work. He would walk to work and he would he was very disciplined. You know, he'd walk to work, he'd leave at the same time, he knew exactly how long it took him so he could clock on just before the whistle went and he would be back and forth during the day. And he did that for, for 50 years of his life until he retired. And I didn't comprehend until I was reflecting on it recently just what what a, what a structured life he had based around um, that physical sort of well-being that that yeah. we think now about having that structure and process. But but now it's all about working out. He didn't need to work out because it was part of his daily routine. But because mm-hmm. we don't have that structure now in our lives, and we sit in cars and we sit in front of computers, we have to manufacture that, don't we? By going to the by going to yeah. the gym, which is you know. It, it's sad in a way that we don't have that physical well-being as part of our everyday routine. And you, yeah. you can probably remember back to when that was also part of our lifestyle as well. Very much so. I mean, a a phenomenal workout for me as a 14 and 15-year-old was going out and bailing hay mm-hmm. for, for six to eight hours. And I mean, we're talking a thousand bales and I would load them. Um, or unload them. And it was a ton of rotational twisting. And typically the temperatures were 80 plus. Mm-hmm. So think about that training routine. It, it covered everything. It, it covered literally everything. And um, I didn't think of it as a workout back then, of course, but now I think of it like, I wonder if I could still do that workout. And that was, you know, <laughs> that was insane. But but I like to believe that my training would allow me to do it maybe the mm-hmm. only limiting factor would maybe be my age at this point in time i would think but um I, I the band training allows me to do things like that and we'll talk more but um and that's that's you know why i why i get so excited about it is mm-hmm. is because of that um so well so resistance band training is a very very specific niche within the strength world and um, so I'm, I'm interested to know how, what caused you to settle on that, um, you know, yeah. rather than something that might have been more popular when you started it down this particular pathway. Well, it it wasn't me looking for a popular tool. What it was was um, I told you I was a physical therapist. After about three or four years, uh, um, I became very connected with a mentor of mine named Gary Gray, and Gary mm-hmm. is. Basically, in my mind, the godfather of function. He he was considered this functional expert, functional movement expert. Um, but Gary had a very unique way of presenting, a very casual way. But it really it really dialed into me. And the three things, the number one thing that he would always say is, our body is driven 
by momentum, gravity, and ground reaction forces. That's that's what our body's driven by. So I immediately said, well, that's what I should be strengthening. I should be strengthening momentum, gravity, and ground reaction forces. And the other thing he would say is, um, our body is multiplanar. Why are we training it in one plane? And then the last thing he would say is, you your body typically is going to perform by moving the body on a stationary basis support. Um, and we can talk more about that, but these types of comments r- resonated with me dramatically. And so I started learning everything I could from Gary and applying it to my physical therapy clients. But it 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 was still too much of me telling the my, my patients how to move. And that's the other thing that Gary would tell us is people can't listen and be told how to move. They got to feel how to move. Mm-hmm. And they got to feel it and they they've got to be put in environments that allow them to successfully learn what that feels like and then achieve it. And so that was my physical therapy driver. Um, and I kept training this. And then one day, I, a football coaching friend of mine asked me to travel with him to Notre Dame University for a football clinic. And Notre Dame is about two and a half, three hours from my, about three hours from my house. And so I told him, you know, it's a Saturday. It's a beautiful fall day or a, a beautiful spring day. Let's go. And so I jumped in the car and went with him. We got to the location. And, and again, coaches started talking football, X's and O's, and I was bored. And so <laughs> I out of their conference and started walking around the university and went to their indoor football field training facility. And in there was this gentleman, his name was Dick Hartzell. And Dick was giving this demonstration using these industrial size resistance bands. And Simon, I kid you not, I walked in, I saw this, and within two minutes, a huge light bulb went on and I sat down for two hours and just, just watched and and absorbed. And then after two hours, I had all these thoughts in my head and all these ideas on how I could take Gary Gray's philosophies and incorporate them with bands. And I went up to him and I said, Dick, do you realize that you can do this, 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 and this with your bands and that you can also do this? And he looked up at me and he said, who are you and where'd you come from? And, and we talked for about a minute and he said, he looked at his partner that was providing him um, assistance with the demonstration. And he looked at me and said, you take over. I got to go talk to this guy. (laughs) And so we literally walked off to the side. We talked for another two hours. He completely let the other guy run his workshop. And long story short, resistance bands became part of my part of my world and and then kind of just fast forwarding i started using them in the clinic and it got the results i was looking for with my patients and what was cool was i could send them home with the tool and they could keep doing it at home that was the first thing this and we can talk about how i was getting those results in rehab but then i started going wait a minute, time out why am i waiting for people to get hurt to come see me mm. I don't want to reach out to people and start teaching them how to use this tool in the performance enhancement world. So 
you know, things happen for a reason, but a coach reached out to me and said, would you train my soccer athletes? And I said, absolutely. And so we started training this girl's soccer team um, and had great results with the training that we were doing. And, and honestly, I was learning on the fly, but I knew conceptually what I wanted to do with them. Well, then this was in 19, about 1999. In 2000, I said, well, wait a minute. Let's not keep this to just athletes. Let's take this to the the um, the general population and let's start training the general population. And heaven forbid the, the amount of resistance I would get, literally resistance I would get from people mm-hmm. when I told them, I'm going to run a fitness band boot camp. And they would be what? I, I'm going to run a fitness band boot camp. What do you mean by that? Well, you're going to train with bands. And only the people that were very much the, the, uh, only the people that were very much the outliers came and worked with me. So I had maybe six, seven people locally that mm. would train. With me. And literally within a month, I had 20 people training with me. And so we took the fitness band boot camp and we ran it for 20 years. Just to let you know, I shut it down in 2021 or 2021. And so um, that's kind of how this whole thing took off. And obviously, once I figured out that I had a niche in a, in a, in a, using a tool that nobody else, they were using the tool, but at that point in time, it was Louis Simmons using it with power lifters. Um, and wasn't really, you know, there were a few dabblings of people using it. Dick was obviously using it. Um, but again, Dick was using it primarily for athletic performance. Um, and he didn't really know why he was using it. He just knew it worked and he was incredibly visionary kind of guy like that he would just well do this this and this and it worked but he didn't know any of the background fortunately i had the gary gray and the physical therapy and all the background and i knew exactly why it was working um so that's how it got started i'm I'm thinking back to you know the 1980s 1990s when bodybuilding and all of that stuff became very popular and muscle and fitness was in its heyday you know and it was sort of like the post arnold era um, and that was all about lifting weights. And I think everybody wanted to get big and build big muscles and saw that the only way to do that was by lifting heavier and heavier. And you could only do that by either. I mean, I much prefer the traditional way if I'm going to lift weights of, of lifting barbells and dumbbells or even kettlebells now. Um, but a lot of people wanted to lift machines because they felt they got a better pump. And so I could see why, well, how are resistance bands going to help me build big muscles? It's just right. It's just a piece of elastic, right? And how can I and how can I tell everybody, even in the pre-Instagram days, how can I tell everybody that I'm lifting more now when I can't even tell them what the resistance is because it changes throughout the, the sort of the tension? Um so that's not gonna work. Um so I could I could see how it was like swimming upstream for you to get started until you got some uh, until you, until you got some people who understand understood the principles of what you were trying to do and and how that you know and that that is what I think with a lot of people who train, they don't understand how the body works which you do clearly and maybe some of those early um, adopters also understood how the body worked and so that's why they were buying into this because they could see where you were coming from in terms of that whole Gary Gray thing that I I made a note of momentum gravity ground reaction force Mm -hmm. right that's the whole basis of athletic performance isn't it It um you know being multiplayer now that's how the human body works and that stationary base of support reminds me of paul check saying you can't fire a cannon from a canoe um 
whether that, that's Great always attributed that's that's always attributed Great to him, value. but whether whether he came up with that or not. But the point is that you have to have stability. And if there's one thing I've realised is that using bands in different ways provides amazing stability, doesn't it? From which then you can move on with with doing everything else. Yeah. Well, and so to kind of finish the story, I immediately came home and said, "Well, wait a minute. Resistance bands are a variable resistance." That means that every rep, the speed is going to change if I want it to. It can. And that meant that when I looked at Gary's drivers, well, first of all, with resistance bands, I could speed up momentum. So, Simon, if I take you and put a band over your hips and tell you to walk out about three to four or five yards and stretch that band out, and you look at me and I say, okay, now, Simon... I want you to sprint at me as fast as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. The band is making you have to accelerate faster than -hmm. you're used to. So we're training acceleration. But then I say, Simon, you have to stop right here. You can't go further than this point. So I'm also accelerating deceleration. Mm -hmm. I'm making deceleration happen faster than you're used to. And in the world of physical therapy, 95% of all injuries happen mm. because we couldn't slow down. We couldn't decelerate. That's why injuries happen. And an ACL is the perfect example, a non-contact ACL, a rotator cuff tear, same example, a lumbar disc herniation, same example. They're all that. And so that's what got me so excited was because I could literally teach people how to get better at accelerating, but more importantly, how to get better at decelerating. Mm -hmm. Then taking the next step within the world of physical therapy, I could unload people. I could make them work with less gravity, less ground reaction forces, less momentum, because the band, again, as you stretch it out, it's going to slow you down. So it becomes your controller of momentum and all of that and ground reaction. So if I told you, okay, Simon, I'm going to have you walk away from me as I hold the band, each step that you take, the ground reaction forces are going to get lesser and less and less because Mm -hmm. the band is decreasing ground or gravity impact. And it's also decreasing the ground contact in forces, assisted pull-ups. Big thing that everybody does with bands. That's what I do with bands. I use them for assisted pull-ups. That's awesome. Would you ever think about assisting lunges, assisting squatting, assisting push-ups, assisting jumps, assisting? I can assist any single functional movement your body makes. I can assist it. And what I mean by assist is I can slow it down. I can I make it, I could make it faster too, but I can slow it down. So now all those arthritic joints. All of those people that have had post-trauma to their joints and their and their low backs and their knees and their hips. Well, if I put them in a band and I ask them to use the band in an assisted mode, all of a sudden now they can put their foot down and lunge and they don't get pain. Well, why is that? I've decreased the ground contact forces. I've decreased the effect of, of momentum and I've decreased the effect of gravity. I've mm-hmm. lightened them up. I literally took pounds off their body and said, now try to move. Well, okay, Simon, if I want you to bench press 300 pounds, do I put 300 pounds on the bar and say, let's go? 
No, you, you work your way up to it. Well, by using bands as an assistant tool, you're doing nothing more than taking weight off the bar and letting them train at the weight that they can handle. Then we slowly take the assistance away and bingo, we've got people walking faster than I ever could in the clinic because they had started learning how to control their movements and their muscles to help them walk. And it was all because I unloaded them and let them train at the resistance, at the load that they could handle. So that was the big, when you say, when, when I started putting all that together, it was, there was no question I was going to do something resistance bands for, for a lifetime because it was a tool that was being used for assisted pull-ups and powerlifting. Uh-huh. And that's where it was getting its biggest, um, you know, biggest um, feed, uh, feed at that time. But I was like, oh, wait a minute, we're missing the, we're not even on the boat. We're not even, we're not even in the harbor with the boat. We're missing uh-huh. so much. And that's why I got so excited with it. And then I took all those concepts that I did in rehab, beefed them up and took them to the athletic world, just beefed them up, just made them more for athletics. And then I did the same with the fitness model in the adult sector. Um, And so I know that's a long story out there, but what I want your listeners to understand is everybody don't necessarily underestimate a resistance band because it might be the exact tool you need to live a very, very long life and train and exercise your body without beating it up for a long time. Right. So that that last point, Dave, is absolutely how I'm trying to frame everything that I do now. You know, you and I are just turning, if you're if you're already 60, I'm a few months behind you. And it, listeners will know because I've been talking about this regularly now for you know quite a few, quite a few months, maybe years on the podcast is at some point you start to get a different perspective on your on your training and your athletic career is like okay maybe i'm not going to get stronger or faster anymore but how long can i keep doing this can i keep doing this and doing all the things you know i love to go swimming in the ocean i love paddle boarding i love riding my gravel bike i, lo- I love running i have to protect my knees now but i i just love being active how long can i keep doing that how how can i still keep doing this when i'm 75 or 80 why can't i what do i need to do in order to do these things uh, what i need to do is make sure that i'm looking after my body so h- how do i best look after my body um do i need to load it up with super heavy weights all the time and think about what i look like you know whether i've got big deltoids whether i've got big guns whether i've got a six pack or do i need a body that um that basically is gives me good posture allows me to use all of that fascia in elastic recoil that it was designed to um, that moves effectively in all of those directions you've mentioned. Okay, so if that's what I need to do, what, what sort of training do I need to do? Maybe I need to do a bit of everything, but what things can I incorporate that are easy on my body that allow me to recover? Because, of course, it, recovery takes longer, right, when you get older. So you don't want to yeah. be doing things that mean you can't do anything for three days. So how can I best incorporate all these things, but with the ultimate goal of being able to do this when I'm 75? You want to maximize your opportunities outside the gym. Yeah. That's what you want to do. And that is the premise of resistance band training is for, for just like yourself, um, probably for the last six to seven years, I have toted the line. 
I want to maximize my opportunities outside the gym with my exercise program. And when you put it in that perspective, um, you're talking about, I want to be able to go ahead and play golf with my grandchildren when they're mm-hmm. born. And when, and I don't have grandchildren yet, um, but I want to be available and ready for them when they get there. Yeah. I want, I want to stay athletic. No different than than what I used to tell my patients, you're going to be more athletic when you're here. And I'm actually going to give you a tool that you can take when you're done with rehab and continue to maximize your life's opportunities if you want to keep training. Um, and so that's that's my premise. And and I'm I, it, I won't get into this point, but if people are interested, we can talk at the end of the podcast. I just launched. Um, training for longevity introductory 28 day program. It's part of my a membership pro. I have a a membership um, a membership site called the Band Gym. Um, if people look behind me, they'll see the the Band Gym logo. But within that, um, I am taking on a, a mission of helping the members learn how to train for longevity based on some books that I've been reading and and understanding more about. Okay, here's your here's what's going to need to be encompassed within that exercise program. Here's the things we're going to and there's five or six things that you need to be able to have in your program. That said, I don't get into that, but my point is resistance bands are arguably you can argue with me, but they are the number one tool for training for longevity for so many reasons. Not that they're the only tool you should have. I I you know, and, and you're going to ask me, I think, down the line. So I'm going to answer it right now. Dave, <laughs> do you only train with resistance bands? Simon, I train with everything that helps me become a better athlete. And so if uh, I, I'm a very big fan of kettlebells, you and I were talking a little bit about that earlier. Um, I'm a big fan of just free weights. However, what I have noticed over the last 10 years is that free weights, when I train hard, require a longer and longer time for recovery. And so if I want to be able to exercise on a regular basis consistently, I can't do free weight training every time. So I've learned that. And the other thing I've learned is if you combine bands and load the weight, the free weight with a band, uh-huh. you get you get the beauty of both levels of resistance. You get a constant resistance that's gravity dominant and you get an elastic resistance, which is a variable resistance. Putting the two together is the ultimate training approach that I feel my body and people that I train that are 50 plus, that's where you need to work towards. Don't fall in love with free weights. Don't necessarily fall in love with bands either. Combine them. And now you can train gravity, momentum, and ground reaction forces perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole training program will build, be built around the blueprint that our body was designed around, which is walking. Walking mm-hmm. is how our body, if you build, break down how our body functions, you will see that walking was what they used as the blueprint when you had so many, when you do so many different things, throwing, hitting, racket, swinging a racket. Um, swimming, it's all built around the, how our body walks and how it moves. It's, It's so fascinating. And I get 
pretty excited about it. And I try to tell clients, you know, I'm going to make you a better walker by just how I exercise you. And, yeah. and that's big. That's big because as we get older, what's the number one thing besides keeping a clear mind and a, and a sharp mind? What's the other thing you want to be able to do for a lifetime? Walk. Mm-hmm. So there's your two things. So you should be training to in a way that walking is continually being enhanced and improved. The stability, the strength, the balance, the coordination, all of it. You have to be training at all. Well, with resistance bands, I literally can put you through a workout, one workout that lasts 30 minutes, and you'll have done it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's again, that's that's me getting excited about something, but... So I won't, I'll, well, I'll back you, off on it a little bit. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I love, I absolutely love that, Dave, because your enthusiasm for the subject and and um, it is is overpowering. And I can see why somebody who would come along to one of your <laughs> um, one of your clinics would just sit there and go, "Actually, this is what I need to do. I do, and I'm going to buy into this." But I, you know, I've spoken to um, Steve Cotter from Kettlebells. I've spoken to. Kelly Starrett about movement practice and, uh, and about yep. and about his supple leopard principle. Um, I've spoken to, you know, elite physiotherapists and and um, and trainers. And the number one thing that I find that they all have is, firstly, they have a they have a, a huge body of knowledge and understanding of how the human body works, which has allowed them to create training programs. And you're all coming for the same principles and then you've all sort of niched in, but nobody sort of, you know, Steve Cotter won't say, I mean, he's a gymnast. You watch some of the gymnastic things that he does on his YouTube videos and they're incredible, you know, one-legged squats, landing off the table and back up again. You know, it's outstanding and astounding. Um, Same for Kelly Starrett with everything he's doing, having had a knee replacement. But everybody has an understanding of how the human body works, and then everything is based around that. And I think where you all come from is from a position of educating folks about how to use the human body best. And I feel like with with the modern fitness movements, where it's all coming from is here's a training method that will help you look best. And everybody's focused on the aesthetics rather than the actual process of the movement. Um and yet, if if we go back to the basic processes of the movement and how the human body works, that's that's the principle that's going to help us all enjoy a, a moving, longer life. Right, right. Moving and feeling are your first two priorities. Um, people always tell me, you know, they we have this constant dialogue with my my members about, you know, do I want muscles? Do I want mobility? Well, I said, and I'll just come back to them and say, okay, well. How are you going to get muscles? Well, I'm going to do this exercise and this exercise and this exercise. So I go, you're going to move. And they'll say, yeah, I've got to move to do those exercises. So movement trumps muscles is what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I'll then I'll stop and I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to fuse your elbow joint so it can't move. Now, how are you going to go ahead and do that pushing movement that you just described to me? And they're like, well, I, I can't. Exactly. So what you're telling me then is mobility is the key to you being able to do those movements. Mm-hmm. And then they look at me sheepishly and they say, all right. I'm not saying you shouldn't strength train. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is if you go into the weight room at your local gym 
and you walk into the weight room and you go under the barbell and you use bench pressing as your warm up, we're going to have problems because ultimately mm. that's not going to get it done. Um, and so that's all I'm referring to is is you want a longevity. You've got you've got to look at the things that Father Time is going to want to take away from you sooner than later. Mm. Number one, he's going to take away your mobility. And specifically, he's going to take away your mobility in the rotational plane because mm-hmm. if he does, it's his biggest bang for his buck. If I take away the rotation in your knee and you're saying, well, Dave, my knee doesn't rotate very much, doesn't matter. If I take away the rotation in your knee, you can't bend it and you can't straighten it because there's just enough rotation to be able to turn the knee so it can straighten completely and it can flex all the way. If mm-hmm. I take away rotation in your shoulder, good luck. Mm-hmm. Rotation in your head, good luck. Yeah. So I tell people, let's not just work mobility. Let's go after rotation. Because if we keep rotation, we keep almost every other mobility pretty good shape. Because rotation is what shuts down flexion, extension, and lateral flexions and these other planes of movement. Uh, and that's another thing that Gary Gray taught me is you can have like 20 degrees of rotation in a joint, 180 degrees of, of flexion in a joint, a flexion extension. But if I take away your 20 degrees of rotation, you lose over 50% of your flexion mm-hmm. extension. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Um, after all the rehabbing of total knees and rotator cuffs and ACLs, it became very apparent to me that I had to work the rotational plane of movement soon as possible in these people because we had to get that back. No matter how much I wanted the other stuff back, if I didn't get the rotation back, I, I couldn't I couldn't help them. Um, and so mobility first, muscle second, both of them are important. But if you ask me which one I'm going to take first, it's going to be mobility first. Well, there's a lady that I like to name check. She's she's a friend of mine um, called Sarah Pitts. And Sarah, if you're listening, uh, I've said this before, but she, thank you for pointing me in that direction that Dave's just mentioned, because I used to lift a lot of weights and, um, you know, I used to do a lot of Olympic lifting and I used to work with folks on, on that particular side of things. And she said to me, Simon, you don't have, you know, if you, if, if you want to perform better, you need to improve your mobility around your your, your joints, uh, around your working joints. She said, there's no point in having a strength uh, through a limited range of motion. Um, and if you only have a limited range of motion, you try to keep getting stronger, you still won't get the best performance. You're better off actually getting improved range of motion and then using your strength through there. And it, I resisted and resisted and resisted for years. And eventually having had a, a bike accident where I broke my collarbone and five ribs and I had to have some quite extensive uh, physio where they where they discovered that I got lack of rotation in my upper back, which was then causing problems with my running. I, I sort of was almost forced as part of my rehab to do more mobility. And you know what, Dave? It's now become as common a part of my day as brushing my teeth when I get up. I spend the first 30 minutes doing a body weight resistance and mobility program that's based around yoga moves. And I, I, I use some bands to sort of um, create some um, to help me improve my stability by creating some tension from a different angle um, yep. in a, a Kelly's Tourette type of manner where he's got the band coming from somewhere else and you've you've got to resist against that to hold your position. Yep. And it, it's been, I, I 
you know, I don't mind admitting I was wrong, and it's been a phenomenal wake up call for me, and it's it's given me a, a new lease of um, pain free and injury free um, athleticism. I, I don't look at it at all as a a mistake, or um, I am just super grateful that the light went on. Mm. <laughs> That's what I am. Oh, I'm, me, I'm just, I can't tell you, Dave. I'm I'm grateful too. Yeah, I'm super grateful because, um, and and this is. I'm super grateful the light went on for me when it comes to mobility, but in the bigger picture, mm. that's why I started RBT. Yeah. I needed to turn the light on for people because uh, let's face it, this world of ours doesn't like to exercise, No, but the number one drug that's going to give people the opportunity to live longer mm. is exercise. It's the number one. Um, and, and so how can I make that drug easier for people to access. And that's what this is about. Um, you know, we can talk about the benefits of resistance band training. Well, the number one that I always hear, oh, it's so portable. Well, yeah, it is. It's super portable, super lightweight, super convenient, su- unlimited in what you can do with it if you start to learn about it. Mm-hmm. I hope that everybody right now has heard those benefits and then they'll put those aside and say, but. It, it trains the drivers of force or the drivers of function. It allows you to train any movement you can. It, that's what I want them to understand mm-hmm. is that, yes, it's all those things. Thank goodness. But it's also going to allow you to walk better, move better and live your life much, much more effectively outside the gym. So everything you're talking about there is function, Dave, right? Human function. And I probably get a bit frustrated, probably like you do. When I hear people saying, yeah, I'm going to do some functional exercise. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this. Well, how's that functional? What, what's, what's exactly functional about that bench press? Because unless you lie on the floor regularly with people on top of you, there aren't many functions in, there aren't many functions in your everyday life where you're going to be pushing, lying, lying on your back, pushing things away from you. Um, but if you want to, if you want to, stand in a stable position and be able to lift the box over your head into a cupboard to put something away and stop it dropping back onto your head. Or if you want to have enough power to be able to walk up a step and keep going while you're carrying a load. So let's say you, you, you're in the airport and you've got your suitcase and the elevator and the, is, is not working and you have to carry your bag up a few flights of stairs. If you don't have the power and momentum to be able to carry that bag with that resistance when you're off balance – Okay, so you're having to stabilize at the core to, to, to hold that particular object. How are you going to get up those stairs without having some assistance? That's what I call functional exercise. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, such a, it's such a misused word and term, and most people don't understand what they're talking about when they talk about functional exercise. But back to your point about here about why would you want to use resistance bands? Because they allow you to do... Um, movements that are functional and will improve your human function and that's what that's the basis we all should start from even if we're elite athletes it's about human function first and then you can layer up athletic function on top of it right right i uh you know that that gets you into the argument about you know let's use athletes as an example and we hear this sports specific training and at for you know seventh graders and i'm going you know, I, I really, I feel sad for those people because mm-hmm. um, I, I've always trained the 10 years that I worked in the high school, 
my mission was to create better athletes. And I told the kids this, I would say, kids, you're guys, we're going to make you a better athlete, not a better soccer player, not a better tennis player, mm-hmm. not a better football player. I'm just going to make you a better athlete. And if you're a better athlete, what do you think you'll do on the court? I'll be better. End of discussion. Mm-hmm. So let's not talk about, you know, and, and parents would come in and really just hammer home this sports specific thing. And I'm going, honestly, I don't know what age sports specific training should become part of a, an athlete's world. Um, but it definitely isn't, it definitely isn't in the high school era. <laughs> I, I, I'm convinced now that it probably should be, maybe in, it has to become in the college era, I'm sure. But, um, but even in taking that to, taking that to adults, um, it's the same thing. I, I'm going to, I want to make you a better athlete. Well, I, I really like to play pickleball. Great. You'll be a better athlete and you, and pickleball will naturally get better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm working with a client right now who's very, very, very beat up, um, has multiple orthopedic issues, um, just simply because of, um, not having a lot of exercise in his life for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he talks about losing weight. And I said, you know, Jerry, don't worry about losing weight, mm-hmm. worry about moving better, feeling better so that I can exercise you more aggressively. And guess what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. The weight's coming off. Mm-hmm. It just, is. it's going to natural. So, so I think often in, the, in our traditional model, we put the, the goal, the goal out there. And that's really not that it. you talked about it earlier about the process, just, mm-hmm. just get into a process and the, the results that you're looking for will come. Yeah, the results are, are multiple ways you can get those results, but you got to have the yeah. process. In so, yeah, you know, so that's, that's a, a little bit of a tangent, but again, if you have a, if you can find a tool that allows you to fit into your schedule in life that allows you to exercise, please grab it, please use it. You know? And I think I have one of those. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, again, you, you can see, you know, why every time we come back and we look at what is happening in this world, in my mind, okay, what's easier for you to exercise with? And I'll just use a kettlebell or a band. Okay. Well, I like kettlebells better. Good. Uh, what happens when you travel halfway across the world? Mm-hmm. What are you going to train with? Well, I-, I can't take my kettlebell. Exactly. So now I got one up on you. Right. You know, and so I I just, you know, I can always kind of come back and argue my point, you know, you, but use them all. If you got them there, use them all, but make sure you have, I just did a video. I said, make sure you have a convenient training strategy. Otherwise you will lose consistency. You have to have one. What is it? If it's body weight, that's great. Go for it. Heavens knows body weight is the most convenient. (laughs) So, but you know, to your point, I, I'm I'm here in California at the moment while we're chatting, and so that's a you know 11 hour flight. I can't check my kettlebells onto the plane. Well, I, can, I suppose I could, but it'd be terribly expensive in terms of my excess baggage. But I got a couple of bands in my um, in my bag, which you know added a few added a few grams, and yep. uh, 
with, with some body weight movements and the resistance bands and some and one place like there's a tree outside so there's my fixing point you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty much covered aren't i while i'm while i'm away traveling and and again i you know simon i'm sure you love the trainer kettlebells and if you could pick one or the other and always had it available you may pick kettlebells great that's great if you keep your program going for the next 11 days with bands and body weight, I will challenge you that when you go back to training with your kettlebells, you might see an improvement in your kettlebell training, and yet you haven't touched them for 11 or 10 mm-hmm. days, 11 mm-hmm. or 12 days. That That is something, you know, I seriously injured my sh- left shoulder. I, I dislocated it in high school, and then at age 38, um, mm-hmm. I had a... Um, ego-driven event in my life where I thought I could bench press one day in the gym. And I completely tore a seven millimeter tear of my rotator cuff, shredded my labrum, and tore my bicep tendon, age 39. And my and the doc, the first two doctors I went to, very good doctors, said, Dave, I, I don't think we can repair this. And I said, Doctor, you don't understand. My career is this is my career. And so I found a doctor, he repaired it. I'm very blessed and fortunate, but I did not touch a free weight for almost five years. Mm. I rehabbed myself and then I just, I, I, I went body weight and bands. And the reason I did was I wanted to build maximum rotator cuff stabilization control. And, and frankly, I was scared. Um, So five years went by. And I do lift a little bit of free weights now. And what's interesting is my strength never changed. And free weight exercises that used to cause pain aren't no more. And so I I think that when we start training in multiple planes with multiple resistances, and we don't always train joint compressive forces, we train with horizontal forces, not just gravity-driven forces, this three-dimensional joint of ours is trained three-dimensionally. It gets stimulated three-dimensionally. Yeah. And if there's weak points in that joint and we train it three-dimensionally, you strengthen those weak points. And that's what, again, another Gary Gray philosophy he said is, if you can't rehab in the sagittal plane, rehab in the frontal plane, rehab in the rotational plane. Because if you can go in those planes, I promise you, the sagittal plane will get better. It has to. And so it, it's it's a very simple concept. But if if your if your listeners out there are struggling with, okay, I can't do this exercise. Let's let's just say they can't do an over overhead press exercise. Okay. Well, let's go to different movements and let's start working a lot more mid-back and a lot more pulling movements. In this, in this plane of movement versus overhead, let's start doing some rotational type pushing and pulling. Mm-hmm. And maybe let's do a bent over press versus an overhead press. I, I can almost promise you, because I've seen it so many times, that if you stay out of that painful plane and really go after these other planes and not mm-hmm. beat yourself up, you might get back into that plane. You might get back into that movement. And I, and I just... I don't know why, but my philosophy is I have to strengthen the weak links. And if I do that and I don't beat myself up doing it, then those movements 
that I couldn't do, I can do now because my weak links are now stronger that allow me to, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes absolute sense to me, Dave. Absolutely. It's a, it's a simple, it's a very simplified thought process. But in this world, I think like, like Steve Cotter knows kettlebells. I, I know Steve, I've seen him present. I, I, I've seen how he goes about his business with kettlebells. He breaks them down to the absolute finite degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to think that with resistance bands, I, I'd like to do the same thing. But when we're teaching the general population, you got to really keep it simple. And that's mm-hmm. how I talk is I try to keep things very simple by saying, you know, if we strengthen your weakest link, the stronger link is, you know, the, the movement you can't do is probably going to be able to be done again. There's a good chance. Well, I, I think the other thing about keeping it simple, Dave, is that, that life has become complicated. And there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, that perhaps don't have the experience that you have that are trying to make their mark and think, well, the best way to do this is make it sound like it's really complicated and, and everything. And, and that's, a, that's actually a barrier for a lot of people to get started. You know, and it's a barrier for build, building up. I'm, I'm a big fan of the the books, Atomic Habits and Tiny Habits. I don't know if you've read those, but it's all about habit stacking and and building building little things that you can easily do that have where there's 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 virtually no obstacle that you have to overcome in order to get them done. And that's the whole principle. It's what's the easiest thing for you to do on a regular basis to build that habit. And if you've got a band there that you can pick up and do as soon as you get out of bed in the morning and spend five minutes and you can do it every day in a really simple way, that's the start, isn't it? And once you get your teeth into something like that, that's when you start to sort of just expand and sort of expand your horizons, try to do something in a different way, add a, add a bit more variety in there. All of a sudden, you've you've got this bigger workout that's convenient and um you've built some consistency there and that that's you know when we talk talk to athletes about what's the biggest thing you can do to to improve your performance it's just be consistent but it's the same with with your nutrition and with you talked about that client that wants to lose weight it's just be consistent don't don't be don't try to be clever with it just do some simple things really well yeah. um, and, and you'll and, and you'll get and there and regularly and, and, yeah. and, and keep yeah, and stop and stop trying to do oh, things and achieve things by next week just think about what if i do this there's another friend of mine who you may or may not have heard of. He's, he's called Gordo Byrne. He's a triathlete. He talks about a thousand day plan. He says, everybody's worried about what they're going to do in 30 days. Think about the thousand day plan because, you know, you can achieve an awful lot in just over three years or just under three years. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. If I, if I, my biggest mistake in, in my business and, and resistance man training was just struggling to come down to a level that would help people understand things. That's that's always been my, my struggle. I mean, when I look at my programs that I created and some of the digital products I created back in 2005 and six, oh my mm-hmm. goodness, they were built, they were designed by some dude that was maybe 40 years old and had a mindset of 25 years old and thought everybody should be there. That, that mm-hmm. they were, you know... And now I look at the program. I just launched a 12-day mini course for beginners. And I literally walk them through one exercise at a time each day so that after 12 days, they have 12 exercises and three workouts that they can now do with those exercises. But I, I take it literally one exercise at a time. And, and uh, 
that has been, people are like, how come it took you so long to get to this? Thank you. <laughs> now I can understand this stuff. And, you know, the, the other, you, you talk about consistency. The other thing that I build the mission on for us is build on success. And this is nothing new, but build on success. Look for the thing that you can do successfully. Start there. Because mm-hmm. I promise you, if you come to me um, and you tell me I can do these three exercises successfully, I promise you I have another dozen that I can add to that that you can do successfully. Because now you have told me, not it's not the exercise you've told me that helped me. It was, oh, you can do a band pull apart. Okay, well, that means now you can go ahead and you can do a row exercise. You can probably do a single arm row exercise. You can do a plank. You can do, because I know based on what that movement requires, you have to have the stability and the control to do this exercise. So guess what? Now we can do this. Mm-hmm. And they'll go try and they'll go, well, you're right. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you told me what you could do successfully. That's all I need mm-hmm. to know. Uh, and thank goodness, you know, thanks to Gary and um, my physical therapy background, I, I know what what that means from a body perspective that that you can do. And so I can apply another exercise using those same success things. Can I just can we pull you back now, Dave, to yes. um, let's say the listeners have been listening to you in our chat. And I always like to have um, people think that this is like. Two, two folks who are really enthusiastic about a t- topic, chatting about something over a beer, and people stand, sitting on the next table going, I like what they're talking about. I'm really interested in this conversation. I'd like to have a go at that. So hopefully now people are thinking, well, those resistance bands sound quite good. I can do them anywhere, and it's really easy to get started, and I can, you know, I can just do five minutes a day. Um, if someone wants to get started and th- – you know, they're not sure about what resistance bands really are. And, you know, I talked about therabands and they're what I call an open band in that you've got a, you've got two ends. And then th- there's the other resistance bands, which are closed bands, aren't they? They're like loops. They're like, you know, a traditional elastic band. So um, if somebody wanted to get started, what 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 sort of bands are they going to buy? Um, there are different right. thicknesses. How do they how do they know which which thicknesses are going to be the right ones for them? Because we know that most men are going to try and buy, you know, if you give them a kettlebell, they go, right, I could probably lift a 12, so I'm going to get a 20. <laughs> so you, you want to, but but of course there are going to be some there are going to be some movements that you can only use a very light resistance band for, and there are some others that you could probably use a, a slightly more heavy duty band for. So how how do how do folks get started and how they know what they're going to invest their money in? Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's an investment. Well, the good news is if they make a seven to eight dollar investment in a our orange micro band, first and foremost, all our bands are 41 inches in length. So they're a continuous looped band. But if I laid them on the floor, they'd be 41 inches long. That's a relatively standard length for continuous looped bands. Mm-hmm. Second, very variable resistance. So our orange micro band provides a resistance of, so if I take the band and I have it, I put it at 41 inches, but I haven't really stretched it yet, but it's, you know, I'm holding it here and it's straight and I've got a little tension on it. That's about five pounds. I'm creating about a five pound tension. Now each band can stretch 1.5 to two yards. So as I stretch that band out, 
I'm increasing the resistance. So that orange microband can go from five pounds to approximately 20 pounds. So now your audience is sitting out there going, well, I can lift a 20 pound dumbbell over my head. All right. Then you should be able to use an orange microband to do that exercise. Mm -hmm. The problem will be that orange microband. When you do that overhead press will be about 10 pounds here mm -hmm. and 20 pounds here. So you may say, well, I don't feel like I get a lot of resistance at the bottom, you know, versus at the top. So the good news is here, if you purchase a couple of resistance bands and you spend maybe $20 US dollars, you're getting approximately, you're, you're probably getting about eight levels of resistance that you can use. So that's the good news about bands is getting started. You don't you only need a couple of bands because once you start to use them, you're going to find, well, if I adjust it this way, I can add the resistance and change the resistance and modify the resistance. I, I did a video. I did a video. Uh, it's on YouTube. Um, and if people want to, they want it, they can, we can get it to them. It's six ways to create and uh, a band, make a band exercise more intense. And by intense, I mean more resistance. And it's literally, you can just fabricate the band in different ways, shorten it, lengthen it, double it, um, single it, and you can immediately impact the resistance. So, so to answer your question, where should they get started? Honestly, I, I think they should always think about getting, you know, we have nine levels of resistance bands. Our highest one is a 500 pound band. Huh. It's a, it's a car tire, literally. Uh, our easiest one is five pounds of resistance. It starts at five pounds. If you get our easiest, our first three levels of band resistance, you have a total of about 70 pounds of resistance based huh. on how you how you combine the bands, how you use the bands. So that's, I always say, you're probably going to be okay with our three lowest band levels, maybe four at the most, and you're in good shape. Um, you know, so that's what I suggest with beginners is I ask them, what are you going to body? What are you going to squat with? If, if I told you to take a weight and squat, what would you use? If I told you to take a weight and press overhead, what would you use? And if I told you, can you do a push-up? How much do you weigh? And can you do a pull-up? No. Okay. That's all I need to know. Because now if you tell me, well, Dave, I can, I typically squat with um, two 20-pound kettlebells and I do about 10 reps. Okay. That's 40 pounds. You probably want to start with our purple large band because that's a resistance of 30 to 75 pounds. Mm -hmm. And that's going to, that's going to work well for you. Um, you know, so does that, does that make sense? I, I'll use free weights mm -hmm. and body weight strength to determine the band resistances they'll use. But what I've learned over the years, and I've done this because I've taken 300 pound offensive linemen and I've taken my red small band, which generates 15 to 35 pounds of resistance. Mm -hmm. And I've had them do something like a band-resisted push-up. And they are so neurologically used to 
free weights where they got to initiate the movement. And once they get through mid range, they can finish. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I have them do a 35 pound band resistance. These are guys that are bench pressing 300 plus pounds. Mm-hmm. Neurologically, they don't know how to keep pushing when the resistance gets harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And it takes them out completely. Secondly, mm-hmm. They don't have the end range stability to hold the band there, mm-hmm. you know? And so they lose their peripheral stability, which is huge for these guys. So my point is this, if I tell you it's a five to 15 pound band, it's a 15 to 35 pound band. If you've never trained with bands, the likelihood is this is going to be a great place for you to start. And the good news mm-hmm. is if you really find that you are overstretching that red band, that you're taking it. In order to get the resistance you're looking for, you're stretching it more than two yards to get that resistance. Mm-hmm. Okay, then go to your next band. Just take yourself up. But the but the good news is with that red band, you have two yards of res- starting resistance to work with. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot. I, I trained in my 30s, 5s, and 40s. I trained with purple large bands. Mm-hmm. They're one, they're inch and an eighth thick and 41 inches long. And I could do a lot of exercises with them. Mm-hmm. At age 60, I now train a lot with our super micro band, which is the second lightest band we have, and our red small band, and the black medium band. That, that's really all I train with. I, I don't mm-hmm. need anything more than that. Um, and so I, I would start a beginner with our basic three bands, our basic three lower bands, or maybe just three up from that. I think also, you know, when we're talking about how we how we think about resistance, we've got we've we've got to get away from this mindset that we're wedded to about you know more resistance equals bigger muscles equals stronger because you can stand on the floor with both feet on the ground and have you know you talked about doing an overhead press and you can do a one arm overhead press with that band and do it fairly easily. You stand on one leg and do it, and yet now you're having to stabilize your core. And you're having to balance and you're having to make sure you push up up in the right way. Now that becomes a lot more challenging. And then, and that's if I'm standing and I'm pressing with my left arm and I'm standing on my left leg. And then if I try and do it when I'm standing on my right leg and pressing with my left arm, now I'm challenging my balance and my coordination even more. Um, And if I tried to do that with a dumbbell, the 20-pound dumbbell that I could push overhead standing on two feet probably becomes a real challenge standing on one leg and doing it and being so, you know, it's, it's not all about the weight we lift. It's the manner in which we lift it. And and you talked about that whole thing about force development. You know, even if we're standing still, there's got to be some, if you start off from the force you apply to the ground to use the push up, that's there. And that's much more functional in life when, when we're lifting something, because often, you know, if we're trying to lift something in the kitchen, to go overhead and we're trying to reach up there. We, we're probably not standing with both feet balanced. We're having to stretch and reach. And so we're on one leg or on tiptoes. Um, so, you know, you can, e- even if you've got a limited resistance on the band per se, you could always make it more challenging by, um, by, by removing some of the stability, can't you? Or challenging your stability. Very much so. Two things. There's, I have a video on YouTube that takes the chest press and shows you 15 different ways to take the same band mm. and do a chest press and create different different levels of resistance. So that's mm-hmm. what you're referring to. It's, it's a more of a basis support type thing. It's a rep speed 
type of approach. Mm-hmm. So I can change rep speed, basis support. I can um, alter how I'm going to do the movement in what planes. So that would be an interesting video if people are interested in the in seeing the versatility of using a band. Um, that would be an interesting video. The other thing, Simon, I will just come out and say right now, if your objective is to measure your strength, if you are a, a numbers person and you need to know, hey, how many pounds am I pressing over my head with your band? You're not going to be happy with me. No. Because, because I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is if you do 10 to 12 reps of overhead pressing with a band and the last two reps you really couldn't finish, I promise you, you have stimulated the muscle effectively to get stronger. Mm. So now, is it important to know the weight or is it important to get stronger? Which one do you want to know? If you want to know the weight, then you have to go lift a weight. There's no way to measure that. Unless you want to put a tensiometer on the band and go through this complicated <laughs> concept and you want to yeah. measure it. I'm okay with that. But isn't the goal to get stronger? And so mm-hmm. I'm a big, a big fan of perceived exertion mm-hmm. as my training tool. And if I'm using a small orange micro band and I'm doing 45 reps to get tired, you know, you probably should go up in resistance. That's a lot of reps to do before you're getting mm-hmm. fatigued. That's like the person doing the five pound dumbbell and they're really not getting fatigued. They just, they're just doing a five pound dumbbell. So mm-hmm. we'll get you stronger. They'll challenge your muscles. They'll get all that. But if you want me to quantify how strong you are, we're going to have to go to a different type of mm-hmm. measuring approach to do that. Um, so just so people understand that, you know, they, they're not going to get that from me, but that's not why I train with bands. That's not, no. that's not what I'm concerned with. Um, when I train, I work mostly with triathletes, multi-sport athletes. And the, the biggest challenge I've had in the 30 years I've been coaching triathletes is actually getting them to understand the value of this type of training, of any type of resistance training to improve their athletic performance. Research doesn't really have a direct correlation between if you do this, then you'll swim faster, bike faster, run faster. But as you and I have probably both know, and we've touched on that if you can create a better athlete and somebody who moves better and somebody who has a more robust frame so that they can absorb the, the you know, the volumes of training, that probably is going to have an indirect link to how they perform or how, how well they perform. Um, and certainly one of the things about swimming and running is that it's all about technique. And if you lose that technique, you become more efficient. And so you go slower and that's more likely to be when you, uh, sorry, that's when you're more likely to get injured as well, particularly with running. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest, so the obstacle there is from triathletes. Well, I have so many hours of training that I need to do in a week and I don't have time to do this other stuff because then that impacts on my ability to swim, bike and run. My argument is if you did 10% less swimming, biking and running and you added this in, actually, when you add the two together, the results would be much better. But convincing them of that is is more difficult. And it doesn't help when there are coaches out there saying, well, it's not necessary to do this. You know, you can provide resistance by riding uphill um, faster. But, but if, you know, if that was all it took was for people to ride uphill with a bigger resistance or to run uphill wearing a backpack, when I see people crossing the finish line, they would still have great posture and be running well, and they're not. 
So clearly that training doesn't <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't improve their performance. Yeah. Um, you've talked about little workouts, mini workouts that people can do that in 20, 30 minutes and probably less. Um, for our multi-sport athletes, that who are the majority of my listeners who are still got a little bit of pushback against incorporating this, what's the first thing you would be saying to them in terms of getting started? How can, how can we get them on? How can we get them to incorporate this um, so that they can build that habit without it really slowing them down? So I think what you're asking me is, how can I inspire them to start considering strength training? Yep. So I, I, you, you sent me, when we before the podcast started, Simon, you sent me some questions. And one of the questions was what you just asked. And I gave that a lot of thought. And I think here's my concerns. And I'm going to put my physical therapy hat on for just a moment. If I'm in, if I'm working with a manufacturer that works in a, in a, in a manufacturing warehouse, and he does the same thing for eight hours, same plane of movement, same everything. And he comes to me and he says, I've got to get back to that job because it's my livelihood. Mm-hmm. That's no different than your, than your triathletes. They're, they're staying in a very similar sagittal plane in most cases. So here's the first thing I'm going to tell them. Your joints are three-dimensional. If you're only using one dimension, ultimately, you're probably going to break down unless you're a genetic freak Mm -hmm. Um, or you can absorb tremendous amount of pain while you're doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, My so the first thing I would say is, hey, let's take a resistance band that you can have anywhere you want. Where do you want to do this? Do you just tell me where you want to do it? I don't any place is possible. Secondly, we're not going to train you as a runner, biker, or swimmer. We're going to get you out of those planes of motion, and I'm going to have you do more rotational planes of movement because I know you don't get into that as much. Secondly, I'm going to have you use horizontal forces because horizontal forces, if you're in standing, are going to help me teach you how to handle ground ground contact forces. The horizontal force will create what's called a shear force. And that shear force is what's beating up your joints over time. Because from a rehab perspective, I know that because when I talk to total joint replacements and and total shoulder replacements and stuff like that, it's not compressive forces that are beating them up. It's shear forces, compression with rotation and glide, all three happening at the same time. Horizontal force bands can help me train that. So we're going to use horizontal forces. We're going to make you work in rotation. Maybe not right away, but we're going to work towards that ultimately because I don't want you training sagittal plane. And then lastly, gravity, you are so overtraining gravity and because because of the, the things you want to do. So we're going to eliminate gravity and we're going to start training you in forces that are non-gravity dependent, again, horizontal forces, because you do enough in gravity, you train enough with gravity. And so those are the three things, rotation, using horizontal forces to create better control of shear, and also using horizontal forces to get you away from gravity. And then now the thing is, we can create five exercises 
four exercises. You tell me, do you want 10 minutes of strength training, 15 minutes of strength training? What can you commit to? And if you tell me, well, I can commit to five minutes. Okay, five minutes it is. And we start there. And I'm going to tell them, though, that five minutes is going to take a lot longer to get the result I'm looking for. But if you give me 15 to 20 minutes, three times a week, I think I can show you the impact of this in, in probably a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I would start is those three things. The other thing I want to touch on real quickly, you <laughs> talked about the the resistance to strength training in your in your triathlon athletes. I would argue to them that you're not strength training, you're doing resilience training. You're trying mm-hmm. to build joint resilience. And joint resilience gets improved by causing the joint to have to absorb different types of stimuluses outside of what you put them through. Um, and I always tell, I always used to tell my client or my physical therapy clients, if I have you walk on the same pathway for a month and you follow the exact same pathway through the woods, do you think ultimately you'll be able to see where your pathway is? And they'll say, well, yeah, it'll literally in a week, I'll be able to see where I go all the time. I said, that's what you're putting your joints through when you're in the warehouse doing the same thing. You're, you're just creating a pathway. And the problem is that pathway is now getting worn out and it's becoming a dirt pathway instead of a very nice cushioned shock absorbing type pathway. And that usually clicks into their brain. I think with your triathletes, same thing. Um, mm-hmm. I would be interested in saying, maybe you know this, how many triathletes are, are go through some type of injury within the first two years or year of their training? Is there a yeah. percentage? Of that? I would bet it's pretty high. Yeah, I, I would say so. I would say most for my physio friends, I know most of them are based around running. Um, a lot of them are to do with either with poor technique or inappropriate volume, so doing too much too soon. But but a lot of them are, are um, to do with poor strength around the foot and the ankle and the calf. But 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 they don't necessarily come from there. It might be because they've got poor stability around the hip, and then that's just it's it's all just cascading downwards. Um, so most of them are lower lower limb. Most of them are related to running, poor control, poor poor dynamic postural control, um, all never- the thing all the. <laughs> And you never hear of those people because they never move on. They get injured and they're not, they're not the ones crossing the finish line at the Ironman, are they? They're, they're the ones that are crossing the finish line at the Ironman, I'm guessing, are incredible, incredible levels of, of human being. I mean, they just they're freaks, if you want to say in some way. They they just have the ability, their body was built to do this. And they're one of 1% that get to that level. I'm talking about all those people that want to be triathletes. Yeah. Just never get there. And that's the people I want to help because mm-hmm. the freaks, they're probably going to be good no matter what. I mean, well, you know, you can help them a little bit to get to the ultimate level. But if you just want them to compete in a recreational triathlon, mm-hmm. they'll dominate that. You know they'll, they'll they can dominate that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I think that's the case very often. Well, I th- I think you're right to some extent. I mean, you know, all triathletes exist in a very a, a very unique stratosphere. 
when they look at each other, they probably think I'm not very good. When they compare themselves to humanity, they're in the very, very, you know, they're in the top 1%, as you say. And I think that's, we sometimes lose sight of that and compare ourselves with this very sort of privileged, um, unique group. Um, but even with there, there's a lot of people that are injured. If you go on the Facebook forums and the, and the chat forums, uh, there's a lot of people carrying injuries. As I say, the majority of them are, lower limb but you get a lot of people who've got rotator cuff problems because their technique's poor and then they're trying to put the body into a position that they don't have the mobility to do and they're trying to do that you know a hundred thousand times a year and you know if your technique's not right that's going to cause some overload um but i but i also think as human beings they they as you've correctly you know identified um they move through the same planes of motion all the time and and as human beings they need to they need to have some ability to move in those others. And and it goes back to that whole principle that we were talking about before is healthy human equals healthy athlete equals healthy triathlete. Um, and we need to, we need to think of ourselves as, I mean, if we can have better human function, we have better general athleticism, we have better, better performances. And, and it comes back to our whole thing about it means then that because you're not suffering with injuries and rehabbing, you can keep doing that thing for much longer into your life. Yep. I have, I, I told you I'm working with a client right now who's pretty beat up. He has a, he has a cartilage tear in his knee um, and he, he can't walk without a lot of discomfort. And I've worked with him twice now and I put him through a very, I manually stretch his hip rotation very aggressively mm. um, with his help. And we just, we spend literally 30 minutes just on hip rotational movement because as soon as I stand him up, he can walk almost normal with almost mm-hmm. no discomfort. So to me, what that tells me is when I can give him back rotation, his joints get unloaded. Mm-hmm. They have to be because the cartilage is unloaded. And so with your triathletes, if I can just get them a little bit more rotation in their mm-hmm. joints a few times a week, that might be all they need to stay healthy and run for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You don't, I don't need you to be the super, you know, full range of motion or rotation, all that. I don't need that. This body of ours is pretty cool. If you give it just a 10 or 15% improvement, it will probably allow you to do things that you never thought you could mm-hmm. do, or you could do things for a lifetime. I think that's, that's again, another Gary Grayism. You don't have to get everything, but a little bit takes a lot of pressure off these other areas. Do you know what, Dave? I feel like you and I could probably sit here and chat for the rest yeah. of the day, but I know, I know you've got things to be doing so far. So I just wanted to say thank you for such such a, an enlightening, enthusiastic conversation today. I've, re- I've really enjoyed chatting. I, I hope the listeners have, have enjoyed listening to your words of wisdom and um, just depth of experience and knowledge in this particular subject. And I'd feel like I'd failed if there weren't a few people writing to me afterwards saying, I want to know more about Dave and I want to know where to find out about his, his resistance band training programs. Um, so we've talked about, uh, you know, there's, I think there's stuff we could come back to and do um, on another podcast. You talked about training for longevity. Um, you mentioned some of those videos you've got on your program. I'm going to ask you for links to those so we can put the um, the six, six ways to make band resistances um, more different. Yep. The multiplanar chest press in fifteen different ways. We'll we'll put all of that stuff um, in the show notes so folks can can find out a bit more about you and what you do. But um, 
yeah, as I say, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. I've, I've loved every second of this conversation. Oh, I hope we can yeah. do it. Hope we, hope we can do it again at some point. I, I would love that. And thank you again, because it starts with the invitation and that came from you. So thank you very much. Thank you again today for being my guest on the show this week. I love that conversation and I hope you did too. Because if you want to create a home or portable gym for minimal costs this winter, then resistance bands might just be the perfect solution. To make sure you don't miss any one of my episodes in the future, please go along to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and then click the subscribe button. And if you have time while you're there, I'd really, really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, do you like reading or listening to audiobooks? If you do, then I have something you might be interested in. If you ever read the show notes, you might have seen that we ask our guests to recommend their favourite book something that has inspired or captivated them and over the years we've been compiling a list of all of these which numbers way over 200 book titles now so if you'd like the full pdf book list please visit the show notes and click on the link so you can download your copy and please check out all the other links in the show notes for some of the topics that i've mentioned above great that's it for this week thank you again for being here and i will see you on a future episode